Hi, I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Welcome to Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. Well, thank you for joining me today on another episode of Fearless. And today's pretty special. I am coming to you from New Mexico, Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I'm here with Skip and Linya Heisek here at Calvary Church. Yeah. And Skip, you've been on Fearless before, so welcome back. Thank you. It's great to be back. But I am so thankful to have Linya. I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> Linya, I've looked up to you since I was a little girl, and I'm so thankful for you to be here. But Skip... You have been a family friend for years. Actually, I don't really have memories without you and Linya, part of our family. We used to travel all the time together. It would be Greg Laurie, Dad, you, um, Jonathan Laurie, and your son, Nate. We're all the same age, so we're all traveling. And, you know, before you had all these really cool pastors and all these influencers, the cool ones were you, Dad, and Greg, the motorcycles, the guns. Yes. With hearts to share people about Jesus. Yeah. Yep. So those are my memories that y'all are the coolest They're the guys. fun uncles. They are. They were all uncles. We did call them the fun uncles. And we have so many fun stories of God's oh, goodness. Wow. And those were sweet days for me and those memories. Sweet days for us as well. We saw the Lord do a lot of great work. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me how you actually met Dad, because I'm not sure if I know. I met your dad in the 80s, uh, early 80s. I was in California and a mutual friend, Dennis Agajanian, who still plays music in your dad's festivals, uh, uh, introduced me to, to Franklin. I think he said he knew Franklin from before, and he just said, Franklin, you got to meet Skip Heitzig. So I, I met him, and it was during that weekend that he, before that weekend, he said, hey, I'll fly you back to Albuquerque. He had a little prop plane. Were you nervous to get in a plane with him? No, I oh. thought this would be fun. My dad was a pilot, oh. so I love flying. And Franklin had this prop plane, so he flew from California to New Mexico, flew over one of the Indian ruins on the way. We kind of, I showed him down there. We took a loop around it, landed, called Lenya, and I said, Franklin's in town. We're going to have dinner. Yeah. For me, that was a shock. It was like, oh no, clean the house. And we had a really small house by the university. So we had a tiny little dining room, so there wouldn't be enough room at the table. So I think I made spaghetti and I think I had to sit at a coffee table on the floor, and your dad was on a couch. I'm like, Franklin Graham's here. <laughs> and then he preached that weekend. Yes. He spoke that oh, Sunday wow. for me. And immediately you guys had motorcycles in common. And yeah. Yeah, I think you had your first I had a Harley. Harley. Yeah. Unfortunately, it might have been a Sportster. It was still a good bike. <laughs> it was you... still a great bike. <laughs> well, and how about Daddy Bill? How did you meet Daddy Bill? Your uh, father introduced me to him in North Carolina, and it was at Samaritan's Purse. And, um, it, it, you know, your dad always is a joker. So it wasn't like a straightforward introduction. It was some kind of a joke or a dig or something that would make me feel embarrassed. <laughs> and... Um, but eventually you were invited to the Cove to speak. Right. And that's right near where Billy and Ruth and, lived. And we had the privilege to come to their house a few times and spend the day, eat dinner with them. Yeah. Had mm-hmm. Chinese food. and See, I remember Ruth being more of the joker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she yeah. was really funny. But um, you were going to speak at the Cove, and I think Billy or Ruth said something to you about... On one of those trips, I don't know if it was the first time or second time at their house, but um, your grandfather said... Um, uh, are you speaking tonight at the Cove? I'm going to come and listen to you. And I thought, no, Billy Graham's going to come and, and listen. And and what made it really 
daunting for me is not only was he going to be in the audience, but my topic was evangelism. <laughs> and I thought, really, Lord, that's like you couldn't set it up any better than that. Well, you two have been dear friends. I'm so thankful um, that God has intertwined all of our journeys in this. And you've been on the board for Samaritan's Purse for a long time. You've been a faithful friend to my dad and to our family, and I'm thankful. But this weekend, while I'm in Albuquerque, you have been doing a topic at your church called Hunting Giants, and I want to talk about that. Well, we loved hearing from you this weekend. We did an interview with you, Sissy, and a couple others, and we talked about courageous faith and being fearless, and you did such an incredible job. I want to encourage our listeners to go to our website to watch that broadcast of uh, Sissy Graham Lynch and others when we uh, interviewed her yesterday. Yeah, we're gonna. I'll put that link on Good. the show notes. And I've loved this. I love being a part of it, just a small part, just this weekend. But Skip, tell us about this series called Hunting Giants and why that's been on your heart for your church. Yeah, during this season of uh, COVID, of um, mandates, of lockdowns, there's been a tension between the church and society, Mm -hmm. church and the government. And there's been this discussion of church and state and how much can they impose on us? What should and shouldn't we do? And we thought, look, we don't want to be disrespectful. We do want to honor the government. We're mandated to do so in Romans 13 and in in the book of Peter. But we thought, let's talk about what it means to stand up for your faith, like Daniel, like John the Baptist, to conquer giants of silence, giants of fear, literal giants like David and Goliath, but talk about some of those dynamics as people of God making a stand for the Lord. What does it mean to love the Lord with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength? And love your neighbor as yourself. How how do you do both? How do you strike that balance? So we thought, let's do a series on it and address it. And you were gracious enough to be a part of that. One of those also was Esther. And so she was standing up against political, radical, you know, mandates that uh, people were going to be abolished. And for her to stand so courageously in the midst of that. So it wasn't always the Goliath. Sometimes it's what's happening in society. And it it wasn't always a man standing up. It was God using a woman like Esther who said, if I perish, I perish. That's such a a time as this. Skip, we've seen division probably the last four or five years in this country I've never seen division like that in my lifetime. I know this country's been divided many times throughout its history. But in the last five years, we've seen it with the political division, race division, even division inside of our families, amongst our friends. We've all lost friends in the last few years, whether it's because it's political, race, and now even with COVID and the vaccines, we see such a huge division inside the church what do you what do you see the compromises inside the church or this division that's not biblical? What would you say to all that? Well, there's always been division in the church. And when it comes to division in our culture, what we have to understand as believers is that the fundamental division isn't between political parties or between aunts and uncles uh, or between conservatives and Republicans. It's between light and darkness. It's mm, between the good. devil's camp and God's camp. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So you're always going to have the world opposed to the message of the church. They can couch it in political terms, but Satan's crowd never likes the gospel and will be opposed to it. So that's fundamental, and we have to understand that going in, and we have to be able to sort of see through the smoke and mirrors. Then beyond that, there are nuances that divide us, 
and disagreements. And I always say with other believers, it's okay to debate. We just can't divide. We have to protect the unity of the church. Not only are we called to it, we have it. We actually have unity. We have to recognize that and celebrate that and get past the the little nuances and, and agree on the center, the core of the gospel message. Jesus Christ is God. Only faith in him saves the bodily resurrection, etc. the essentials. Once we get past that, the rest is chump change. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, the world will know your my disciples indeed by the love you have for one another. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes the polarization is so strong and this idea that you need to take sides and we forget that we're on Christ's side. Mm-hmm. We're not against each other. I don't want to pull out my sword and start fighting a Christian when there is a common enemy. And I think that idea of divide and conquer, it works in the military, it works in, you know, society and cultures, and I think the enemy would love to do that within the body of Christ, because if we're fighting each other, we can't be fighting, you know, the real enemy. You know, when you're talking about things that we've seen, critical race theory being introduced to our schools, that's something that as parents, we need to be fighting that, not each other. Mm -hmm. And Black Lives Matter, well, I agree that Black Lives Matter, I think it's being used as a wedged issue. So for us during COVID and all those other things happening, if you posted anything, it was either, oh, great, now you're finally coming to the party, or you don't really believe this, or you need to post more of this. And it was like, darned if you do, darned if you don't. If you posted something, you were bad. If you didn't post something, you were bad. And so, you know, you are an influencer as well. There were just, we started getting, you know, horrific responses on our social media to uh, different cultural things that we thought we were making a common sense stand or we were, you know, supporting. And uh, the world just became so divisive on every issue. And it didn't matter where you tried to step in and find common ground. Um, You were being forced to be polarized. You know, it's either all in or nothing. And and this is the result, I think, Sissy, of being fearful. When people are afraid, they get angry. And when Mm -hmm. they get angry, they choose these sides and they, they, they lash out. We all felt the sting of being locked down. We all felt the uncertainty of our medical health future. So because of that, fear gripped us and anger overtook many of us. And the divisions seem much deeper. Well, look at airplanes. I mean, have we ever seen people just with complete outrage on airplanes like they're doing? Or in Walmart, you know, people coming to fisticuffs <laughs> and dragging people across the cash register. I mean, what happened to society? This fear has turned us into these angry people. And, you know, God says in James uh, that we can be angry and sin not. Mm. And I would like some Christians to just maybe moderate a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's one thing to be angry, but what do you do with your anger. We're angry at sin. We're not angry at humans. You know, it says uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty to God pulling down the strongholds Mm. and that uh, we realize we don't fight flesh and blood. And if we would just come back to we don't fight flesh and blood, there is a spiritual battle underneath the surface of this all. That battle is fought on our knees and in prayer, but we don't fight flesh and blood. Mm. So how do we love, you know, we, we believe love wins, yeah. and uh, we believe it's the love of Jesus Christ that wins, and greater love has no man than this. And I think if we were giving more love in our response and less hostility, 
And uh, there's a way to do that, that we can speak the truth in love, we can make our stand, but there still should be love. Mm. And uh, so I hope that Christians can find that that balance of nobody loves an angry Christian. It's a, it's an awful <laughs> thing. You know, I remember I was up at um, our state capitol fighting a particular legislation that wanted to add sexual orientation to our uh, constitution. And fortunately, we were able to overturn that and the governor, you know, made a veto of it. And when we ended, there were Christians, you know, in the roundhouse with the opposition and the opposition was defeated and discouraged. And Christians were like, yeah, we got you. We got you. And I was like, no, this is not a day for gloating. It's not a day to shake our fists. This is a day where we graciously accept that God did what he did. Well, we're not rubbing anyone's nose in it. I just wish there was more moderation, again, speaking that truth in love. That's such a good point. And we can stand in 100% truth and we can fight for that truth as we should. And we can be proactive for that truth. But we can never sacrifice that grace because Jesus was 100% grace, that we yes. do that with love and compassion and mercy mm-hmm. um, and with grace. And Lenya, you made a great point earlier. And I've always said that my dad said that example before us with Christians and the things that we can debate to remember that we're all on the same side, and that's if we believe in that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died for our sins and three days later was, we are on the same side, and we don't need to be divided about the little things. That's the beautiful thing about Daddy Bill, your dad, my granddad, (laughs) yes, Billy Graham and Franklin, you know, because we've invited them both to town, and I worked on the women's committee when they came to town. And the most beautiful thing about— Hold on, they came to town, let's clarify, for for, a a crusade. crusade. They came together. Now— I did not know this. Was this the first crusade they did together? Yes, that was the first joint Franklin-Billy Graham crusade ever in history. I think it was, it was here in Albuquerque. I believe Might so. Might be 98. Okay. And I was on the team, and we were encouraged to be ecumenical. I went out and tried to find Christian women from every different church and background, city, and it brought unity to our state. That's mm. what I remember, you know, um, Billy Graham and your dad doing, is that everybody came together. And uh, it left a huge imprint on our community long after that. Our prayer chain for women was just huge. You know, Mm. there were Baptists and, you know, Lutheran and Episcopalian and non-denominational. And all of the women got together and were with the greater goal of the kingdom of God, right? This Mm. is about kingdom principles. I want to advance the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man, Mm -hmm. not the kingdom of politics, not the kingdom of agendas. You know, Skip often says when we get in this political room, don't shout at the darkness, light a candle. And you can never legislate righteousness. And we get so focused on legislation. But what really happens if people are saved and they're more Christians, then we are going to have a more righteous nation. We will have those things that are uh, valued. So to us, to get off track and become political-minded is to forget that it's all about the kingdom of God. And and we're saving souls. You know what I mean? We are trying to save souls, and as more and more people get Christians, then Christians will vote with Christian agendas, and Christians will put forth Christian principles and goals. And so is just to keep the main thing the main thing that that's what we're trying to do and don't let the enemy divide us keep preaching linya oh keep going (laughs) (laughs) but that's what happens when a billy graham crusade or a franklin graham festival came to town is we worked together yeah and i think personally you know 
maybe I was just naive to that because that's how the men in my family and the women in my family, they taught me. I just never saw this division. And um, so I am sometimes taken back and surprised by sometimes the division in the church like that because I just didn't see that. When my grandfather or my dad would come to town, even if it was with Samaritan's Purse and a disaster, my dad's heart is not that Samaritan's Purse would ever get the credit, but that the church would be built up. So when Samaritan's Purse pulls out of that city, that the church is alive, the church has grown, mm-hmm. the church has got the local church has gotten the credit. Amen. And so thank you for pointing that the out. The church is the bride of Christ, right? It's a beautiful thing. And Dr. Graham was always a master at bringing the church together on this platform. Yes. And not only in, in, in the community, like you said, Lenny, afterwards, and, and Franklin as well. He always wants to empower the church and I remember your grandfather after every sermon saying, and make sure you go to church right. on Sunday. He always brought not his organization, but the church mm-hmm. to the forefront uh, when he closed the crusade. And let's not forget, he was also introducing races. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He was the one that made a lot of breakthrough. For he broke black, barriers down. For black churches and including them and integrating. And no matter where we've been, you know, in the world— with these organizations. He's bringing in the tribal people, the different languages. I mean, you watch the praise band. They Mm -hmm. learn the language wherever they are of Mm -hmm. the song, you know, Mm -hmm. come just as you are. And so it was always a constant idea of bringing in the tribes and the nations Mm -hmm. to Christ. Think of um, Amsterdam 2000. Oh, Oh, you know, bringing in missionaries. Tell people what that was, but most people don't know what Amsterdam 2000 was. on that, so. It was bringing 10,000 what they call barefoot evangelists, people from all over the world, people who were in the work, who were busy in the work, on the field, doing the work of evangelism from every culture, tribe, together to encourage them to be able to say, let's make sure we all have a standard of what the gospel is. Here is the essential gospel. Make sure we preach that mm-hmm. and equipping them and encouraging them for a week with some great speakers and music. Yeah, we were in Amsterdam and the organization raised funds so that if somebody was a missionary you know, in Papua New Guinea and didn't have a ticket, they got them here. And just remember visiting the dorms of mm-hmm. where these you know, all the different languages and Uh these uh, pastors were staying there and this opportunity to fellowship with one another. And we got them suits and clothes and new shoes to just give them that encouragement. It was beautiful. And And it was funded not by them. And these people couldn't afford coming to Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. The Western churches in Europe and in America supported that and flew them over. And it was quite a feat, quite a vision. I'm so glad you brought that up. I was just telling somebody, a friend about that. They had never heard about Amsterdam 2000. And it was Amsterdam. There was one in, what, 1985 as well or something like that. So I was telling them that vision of Daddy Bill. And, but you know, I want to be clear with those who are listening. We look back at Billy Graham now that he's gone. Sure. We've um he did things so smoothly it seemed Beautiful. like. But I want to remind people he had opposition in that moment mm-hmm. when he would go behind the iron curtain. Right. Man, the church here in the United States gave him huge opposition. Yeah. When he took down the ropes and broke down barriers against racism, he got yeah. opposition from the church. So he did have opposition. We kind of don't see that now from, you know, hindsight, but there was in that moment but look, okay. he was slaying giants, mm-hmm. wasn't he? Yeah. The giants of racism, the giants of communism, whatever it was, that if one guy does it in Christ's name, others will follow. He believed that Jesus died for 
everyone right. and wanted to make sure that message never was lost. So when he came to Albuquerque at a press conference, the first thing Billy Graham said is, I'm happy to be here in New Mexico where we have such a blend of cultural diversity, yes. Native American, Hispanic, mm-hmm. Anglo. And he just made a point of that. And he, in that, embraced everyone. And it was like the press took a collective sigh of, wow, mm. there's real love in this message. Mm. You know, we, when we think of Daddy Bill, a lot of times a revival Mm. And that's a word that we've been using as a church a lot lately. Like, we just need a revival in in our country. And Skip, I've, I'm only 35 years old, so I've never seen a revival in this country. You have you, the 70s and the Jesus movement coming out. Mm. I remember I was just listening to a message my grandfather spoke the other day. I was listening on Sirius XM, and it was called Revival in America. And he was reminding people, you can't have revival without repentance. That's mm-hmm. good. And I do think we're a church a lot now that we don't speak about repentance. We don't That's preach good. repentance. But coming from your viewpoint, is revival, could it happen in America again? Or have we already seen that revival before the end times? What's your biblical thought, and what would it take for a revival? Revival is, as I see it, something God decides to do and does irrespective. Yeah, I don't think it's something we conjure up. It's not like God puts the reins in our hands and folds his arms and says, well, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to revive unless you do this or that. I think the Jesus movement was genuine revival. Yes. I saw en masse people all over the states coming to Christ in unheard of areas. I mean, what I saw were hippies on the street in California and on the beach coming to Christ. A lot of us, I was one of them. But revival is something God sovereignly does in a culture. He decides to pour out his spirit. Does it involve uh, a human element? Of course, but God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who initiates that. We love him because he first loved us. So that he was moving and the spirit was moving, and it was almost like a wave. What are some of the hallmarks of revival? Because, you know, you've studied things, whether it's, you know, in Europe or Scotland or England, like what are some common things that you would notice in a revival? The church gets revived first. The church, even if a small group of people get together and pray, they believe in the the authority of the scripture. They believe in the inerrancy of the scripture. They repent before God. They mention repentance. Um, they gather together and they seek God and pray that he would pour out his spirit. I think it be, it begins that, that God moves on a small group. The group becomes larger and larger, and pretty soon a wave begins. Mm-hmm. We were talking about fearless this weekend and hunting giants here, and I'm going to pivot here for a moment mm-hmm. because, Linya, I have always looked at you as this fearless woman. I have looked up to you since I was a little girl, Mm. even if you didn't know it. And I was from North Carolina watching you online and you've always been a wonderful, godly example. But I've heard stories of you. You know, you were just talking about being, you know, at a court case and fighting for it and all the front lines. Have you always been fearless? No. As a matter of fact, um, there's that book, Hindspeed on High Places, and there's this little doe in there called Much Afraid. And I can very much relate to that. I have been a very fearful person. When Skip and I first got married, um, I think because my parents were divorced and my grandparents were divorced and my sister was divorced, there's a lot of it in my family. I had this fear of abandonment from men. And so I didn't think Skip would ever divorce me, but I became obsessed that he would die. 
And so if he walked out the door, I'd start crying. If he was playing worship <laughs> in the worship band, it'd be like, it's the last time I'll ever see Skip. Or maybe if you got Franklin Graham as a friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, That's now good. he's going to That's scary good. places. <laughs> yeah, so I was afraid of that. And then um, I honestly had um, panic attacks. And, you know, that wasn't as well explained and understood as it is today. But back in the day, if you had a panic attack, I thought I was losing my mind. And it's not losing your mind. It's a panic attack. So I was afraid that I'd lose my mind, that I'd go crazy. Like, you know, Skip's got the crazy wife, you know, who went screaming through the church or something like that. And so I had a very high, if, if Skip went out of town, I was afraid of the dark, to be alone. I mean, there were just so many things that I I have been afraid of. And and then my fear for me led to depression. So I've suffered through depression as well. And God has conquered it all. But it's not something that just went away in a day. You know, there were a lot of things that I needed to apply. For me, you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think our minds can be like a record player. People even remember record players. And we get these deep grooves in our lives. They're lies that we've told ourselves. Mm -hmm. They're lies from our childhood. And you put the needle down in the groove and it just starts playing. You know, that I am a unworthy little girl and people abandon me and no one's ever going to love me. And I will never be able to love someone enough to stay married. I'm the broken thing. And, and those records start playing and you believe the lie. And I believe that our feelings follow what we think. Mm. So if you want to change the way you feel, you have to change the way you think. So that transforming by renewing my mind was hard work yeah. where I would replace the lie with the truth. And it used to be that I was afraid to sit alone. And honestly, I didn't want to be alone because I didn't want to hear all the thoughts that were in my head. But I needed to stop and listen so I could hear the lies, so I knew how to replace them with the truth. And I would do journaling um, a lot during this season of my life. And usually I would write down, what am I thinking? And then what am I feeling? Because we don't relate our feelings and our thinking together. And then I would say, what is the situation? It'd be like, oh, Skip came home from work and he didn't come in and kiss me. He went straight to his office and he started playing his guitar and he doesn't love me anymore. <laughs> and um, so then I would say what the situation is and what I was thinking about it, how I was feeling about it. And then it'd be, what is the truth? Mm. And so sometimes that meant and I had to go into Skip and say, are you mad at me? I thought you la la la. And he go, oh, no, I just heard a song on the way home and I wanted to get those chords down before I forgot the song. And I had this whole scenario. Yeah. Our marriage was over because he didn't come in and kiss me. And so I would constantly have to confront, is that the truth? Is that the truth? And then, of course, you replace it with scripture, you know, that God is a God of love and that perfect love casts out fear and he's not given us the spirit of fear but of power and love and a sound mind and so i was constantly replacing the lies of my childhood the lies of the enemy the lies of the moment and confronting them and then as i was meditating on his truth right think on these things whatsoever good pure true that would change how i felt now i have learned that my thoughts rule the train, my will. I decide what thoughts are going to be in my mind and the caboose is my feelings. And for so long, my feelings were running the engine and my train was going off course. But now I make sure that my will decides what I think. I think what the scripture tells me to do and my feelings follow that. 
And uh, it is a battle. You know, sometimes I just get up in the bed. I think the wrong thing and I'm in the shower and the enemy is having a heyday with me. And I literally will yell out, stop, you know, like not today, Satan. We're not going down this road. And and then I just put my mind back on scripture. I worship Hmm. or I tell Skip, you know, it's a bad day. I'm having a really Hmm. bad day. And he prays over me. And so I can say I walk really well now, huh, babe? That was priceless, what you just shared. That was so transformative. I'm, I'm just hoping it's, a, it's an encouragement to uh, our listeners. I know there's so many people that struggle with that, and we're talking about these cultural giants that we're facing, and now you're talking about some of these mental giants that we just see captivating a culture. Mm. I mean, it's really taking over, especially as a millennial, we see it more and more. Just it's so what they're thinking about. They yeah. listen to lies and they don't challenge them. You know, we, we think that every thought that comes into our head is our own and they're not. Mm-hmm. Some of them is something your mama said to you. Mm-hmm. You know, you're never going to be worth anything or your dad told you, you know, you're dirty Well, not her girl. mom and her No, dad. but I'm talking to these <laughs> yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. They've got these wrong ideas in their heads and they entertain them. And then the enemy just has a heyday, right? The darkness that sweeps over. That's right. And so you've got to take those thoughts captive. Especially at night. Yes. Oh, Satan works at night when you can't sleep. Oh, I feel like the light goes out and it's like someone I'm in a fighting ring. Ding, ding, round 100. Here's the enemy and Lenya. Skip's probably looking at us like these women. What are- no, no, it's, it's actually very good conversation. You know, and we're, we're talking about the cultural giants and now these mental giants, but we also, you know... A lot of people right now have health giants that they're facing, and you are a cancer survivor. Yeah, yeah. How did you conquer that, and how did that change you in your faith? Well, I think maybe the preparation emotionally also helped me fight physical battles. You know what I mean? Because I fought so many depression battles that I was equipped more to do that. But and not saying that it's it's not an easy battle. But um, I was having pain in my stomach, and um, I run, and I lift, and I, I thought it was sciatica, like from running. I thought I needed to change my mattress, so I let this go for a long time, and I found out I had a grapefruit-sized tumor in my abdomen. And uh, when I went to the doctor, it was just so stunning. I went to my OBGYN, and he brought me into the principal's office. Usually no one, no doctor ever says, come in and talk afterwards. And he did. I was like, "Uh uh-oh. He says, you know, I think I'm going to have you take a um, ultrasound. I go like next week, next month. Oh no, I've made an appointment today on your way home. You're like, I called Skip. I said, it's not good. They never tell you go for an ultrasound. And then the girl in the ultrasound, they're not supposed to say anything. And she goes, uh, so do you have a good surgeon? And I'm like, surgeon? Mm. You know, it just all struck like lightning. And within days, this doctor said to me, you're about to get on a train and you have no idea where the train's going, the destination, and you're mm. not going to want to get on, but you got to ride this train. Mm. And it was so sobering. And uh, so um, we didn't know it was cancer till I came up from the surgery for sure. And so I wake up and skip sitting next to my bed and um, I'm just kind of looking at him and trying to orient yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, my dad is a doctor and he's a very strong-willed person. And unfortunately, he usurped the situation and he walked in. And he goes, well, hon, it's cancer and uh, you're going to have to have chemo and you're going to be bald. <laughs> and I'm looking at Skip like, what? He's a doctor, straightforward. I know. No one said cancer before. 
And um, I think in some ways, God just gives an incredible grace when we're in Mm -hmm. situations. Mm -hmm. And I don't have the grace you have when you're facing something and you don't have the grace that I have. And so there was an enormous strength. You know, we don't have the strength until we until you need it. And so it's grace to help in time of of need. need. Say that again. Grace to help in time of need from the book of Hebrews. Mm -hmm. Yes. Come boldly before the throne that we might receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. And he gives that grace at that moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So whoever you are, don't be afraid of what's to come because when it comes, he is an ever-present help in time of need. Mm -hmm. And so he will be there. And so he did walk with me. And I think it it forged me. The fire somehow strengthens you. When steel's been through the fire, you get this backbone. And um, after afterwards, I think I developed this idea of Esther, if I die, I die. And you grapple with that idea. And for me, after that is when Reload Love happened. You yep, know. Tell people what that is because we were going to get to that. And that's another reason why I think you're this fearless woman. <laughs> so you were talking about that this weekend as this eternal mindset that you set forward without yes. fear because God has this time when we die, we die. That's right. And you started Reload Love. Tell people what that is. Reload Love is a brainchild when ISIS uh, was uh, growing in 2014 and they were having genocide of Yazidis and genocide of Christians. I was in the showers like, Lord, what do we do? And I got this idea to collect spent bullet casings, make it into brass jewelry, and then to help kids impacted by terror, kids caught in the crossfire of terrorism. And it just grew quickly. And as a result of it, I found myself hiking through the jungles of Burma, crawling through ISIS tunnels, being in the windswept desert of Jordan with Syrian refugees in places that I would never have gone. See how tough she is? You wouldn't think she's some fashionista with all these places (laughs) that God has taken her. I like to tease. I'm more of a Malibu Barbie than a G.I. Jane, but if God tells me to go, I'll do it. And uh, so I'm just waiting for the call to the Champs-Élysées. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, so after that, I started doing these really high-risk things that you would never have predicted what I would be doing in my I life. I couldn't get you to go camping in our early marriage, and now you're off in the jungles of Burma? <laughs> it's in true. Iraq? Yeah. But you did it for the right cause, and God has blessed it. Yeah. So um, the most recent thing has been with Afghanistan that we've been able to work with a group of ex-CIA, special ops, Delta Force, who were so invested that the United States pulled out so prematurely and not really well that we left a lot of people behind that needed help. And uh, we were starting a campaign with Reload Love for um, Afghanistan. We started in June preparing, and we were going to launch it on this date in August, and that day is when Kabul fell. And so our team was praying, Lord, what do we do? Please hide all these people and shadow your wing. Make us a lifeline. But how can we be a lifeline now that the Taliban's there? No one's going to get in. Nothing can get past them. And I got a text from a friend who's ex-CIA. And he said, Lenya, I need your help. Can reload love? Start raising money. We need to rescue these girls on a soccer team, the girls' soccer team of Afghanistan. And I go, well, since I literally five minutes ago said, mm. Lord, make us a lifeline, and you're giving me the text, I'll say yes. And so since then, we've raised $340,000, and these girls have gotten out. And so we're able to take care of them. We've also sent $40,000 to another organization that's on the Pakistan border. Oh, I'll start crying. A mom and her daughter watched their husband, dad, beheaded as they were able to run across the border. Mm -hmm. So some of the organizations we're working with, you know, they're higher risk than I am. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, I've gone to these places, um, but my heart breaks. And so 
I just want the gospel and Jesus to be able to rescue as many people. And, uh, you know, some people can go for the low hanging fruit, but I want to go for the high hanging Mm. fruit. I want to go for the fruit where people have to climb a tree, go out on a limb. You know, I've read your dad's book about, you know, people who will go out on the limb. And uh, that's where the the richness is. And so that's kind of what Reload Love wants to do, to go to the highways and byways. And that's encouraging. I want for whoever's just listening, God has called you to go out on the limb, even in your own community, right. to have a fearless faith in your community. It's not always just somebody on a big platform and a huge social media platform or a big time pastor. God's called you to go out on the limb, even in your own community, whether that's starting to speak truth in your children's schools in your business or in the corporate world and wherever that is. And I want to encourage you. And you've always set that example, Mm -hmm. at least to me, you said you weren't always like that, but I'm thankful. And Reload Love has the coolest jewelry and it is for sale. And I will put a link in our show notes and Mm -hmm. on social media to that and where people can find out more about that. Before we close, Skip, you know, we look over this past year of We've talked about fear, but right now we're talking about terrorism. Um, Linya's talking about terrorism. Of course, we know what's been happening in Afghanistan and the Taliban back in control, roaming, going through the streets with our weapons and our, our trucks, and it's so hard. And you, we as parents who have lived so comfortably in America raising our children, we are in a cultural battle. Now we're seeing the threats from the outside. What would you say to those people who are, who are fearful Right now. Well, first of all, I feel I need to say thank you to those in our armed forces who have mm-hmm. served in Afghanistan. They did a noble task. Mm. They served their country. Um, I, I know they're struggling with this, uh, the public policy of our uh, this administration. Uh, it's been a fiasco, a catastrophe. But, um, you know, I have a friend who says God has something up his sleeve. He's, he's sovereign. He, did, he saw all this coming. And um, I would look at adversity as an opportunity in this. Because we're dealing with a God who knows all things and can do all things, um, this didn't take him off guard. And, and, and so what is he wanting to do with the church during this time? There's Christians in Afghanistan. They're underground. They're being persecuted. Many of them have been killed already. So I would look at this as... This is a time to be courageous. And here's what I mean. You talk about fear. Somebody said, courage is just fear that has said its prayers. That's good. So it's time to harness your fears, be courageous by getting on your knees and saying, God, what do you want me to do now in in light of this? What are you doing behind the scenes? I want to get involved. You know, a sincere prayer like that will place you in the forefront of being used by God during a time like this. Can you say that quote one more time about... Yes. Courage, Courage is just fear that has said its prayers. Wow. I'll add to that. Fear is a feeling. Courage is a decision. Mm-hmm. You can make a decision despite your feelings. You don't have to make decisions based on your feelings. You make the right choice despite the feeling. People in law enforcement, people in the military learn to do this quite well. They use their fear to motivate them to a courageous action. I will tell one story, and you can either cut it out or leave it in or whatever. But when I was preparing to go to Burma, it's a lot of climbing. And so I joined this gym that was, uh, I think it was training for warriors or something like that. This guy, Vicente, who was a special ops guy. And so he was putting us through all this stuff. But he would also give us this psychology. It was almost like you had a 
training sergeant, you know, it was boot camp. And one day he sat us down and he goes, okay, have you ever heard to run against the roar, run to the roar? And I went, yeah, no, I don't know what that is. And he goes, well, lions hunt in packs and, and the females really do the hunting. They're the ones that are out chasing the gazelle. And he said, the male lion, he just has one job to be on the opposite side of the field. And his job is to roar because then the gazelles are going to run away from the roar and then the female lions will get them. And he said, and I'm going to tell you, you know, from being an ex-cop, ex-military, run into the roar. Because if you run toward the lion, he's not going to go for the hunt. It's the, it's the female ones mm -hmm. out here. But if you run to the roar, you'll probably save your life. And so he would tell us, when you girls are out there, I want you to run into the roar. And it was just, you know, all these emboldening stories that he told us. But it is true. The enemy is a roaring lion, mm -hmm. seeking whom he will devour. But he's toothless, isn't he? Mm -hmm. If you run to the roar, the enemy is not going to be able to get you because of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I, I have tried to train myself to run to the roar. And I think survival is, you know, running to the roar. And uh, so I don't know. I don't know. That's maybe that will help someone. No, I love that illustration because personally, my dad always taught us to run to the fire. Mm -hmm. And he set that example. And once again, I want to encourage those who are listening. You're going to be called to run to a fire wherever you are in your community, mm -hmm. whether that's mm -hmm. run to the school board, whether you're going to stand mm -hmm. up to a teacher that's teaching bad philosophy to your children or to stand up to a family member to stand for truth, you're going to have to run to the fire That's good. wherever that is. And I want to thank both of you. What an honor it's been to be in Albuquerque. Corey and I, you know, we are like your biggest fans from Florida. <laughs> Skip does a wonderful job applying God's word, simply teaching from God's word, elevating it, wanting the church to know it. And I'm so thankful. Thank you for both of you for joining me on Fearless. Thank you, Sissy. It's been a pleasure. Love you. What an incredible episode. I would encourage you download Skip's app. It is one of my go-to apps. He's got every sermon he's ever preached from the eighties to present time. And I think every chapter in the Bible is probably covered three or four times. So if there's a chapter or you don't understand or a book that you're trying to learn about, go download his app. Also encourage you, if you're looking for a gift this Christmas, go check out Lenya's reload love org, which she talked about. You can buy a piece of jewelry that goes to a great cause. And I'm also going to encourage you check out this video hunting giants. I've posted it on my Instagram It's incredible. It might make you cry as parents. That is what we are training our children to be. They are in the Lord's army and we are going to have a lot of giants to face, but we are not to fear because we're in the Lord's army. Once again, thank you for joining me on another episode of fearless. Check out my website, sissygramlynch.com where you can get caught up on all the latest fearless episodes thank you for joining me and encouraging you to have a fearless faith in a compromising culture 